It's always an honour to be here. It's just, I was telling Chip this morning, it's like coming home. I was at this church for six years. Um, It was my spiritual home. It was where, this is the church where I really discovered my calling. I was ordained on this stage, sent out from this place. This is holy ground for me and uh, for the many people that call this place home. If I, it's just so wonderful to see so many faces that I don't know. And I just want to tell you, you're in for a treat and your heart and your life is safe here. You can trust that you will be taken care of here. Um, the people that pass to this place listen to the Holy Spirit. They're not perfect, but they're submitted to God and your heart is safe here. And um, yeah, so I just, it's, it's a joy for me to be here and uh, to come home and to preach. So Pastor Chip told me that you're in the middle of a series on risk and miracles. And I was really excited because uh, there, are two, there are two things that I think we really misunderstand in our culture today, what a risk is and what a miracle is and what that looks like. And I really wanted to share with you a message from the life of Gideon. Now, Gideon lived in the Old Testament times. If you are not familiar with Gideon, he was after Joshua. Joshua took the promised land. Um, He lived in between that time and when King David and King Solomon showed up on the scene. So a very long time ago, this man named Gideon lived. Some of you may remember stories of Gideon, uh, how he defeated the Midianites with just a, a clay pitcher and some fire and a small band of merry men. And maybe that's all you know about Gideon. The other thing that maybe you might know about Gideon is that Gideon asked for signs all the time from God. And Gideon gets a really bad rap for this. I I feel like people say that he had lack of faith or that he was scared to risk, that he was a big chicken is what people kind of will preach about Gideon. Look at that guy who, who was so afraid to do anything. But I would like to rewire and repaint a picture of Gideon for you today. Because I don't think he was a big chicken at all. I actually think he was one of the most courageous men to ever trust the Lord to do something mighty. And so I've learned in life that it's really hard to risk anything in order to see a miracle if you do not know or trust the God that you're risking something for. And the story of Gideon is actually the story of Gideon discovering who God is. It's very important. So I want you to go to your Bibles, to Judges chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 1. I want you to go there with with us. I'm going to be reading. Prepare yourselves. We're going to be in Judges 6 and 7 this entire sermon. So if you have a paper Bible, just keep it open. If you have an app, just keep it open. Don't shut it down. We're going to be going back and forth all sermon. Okay. Judges 6, starting in verse 1. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. 
Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other Eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and they ruined the crops all the way to Gaza, and they did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian was so, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Can you imagine living like this? Can you imagine? I'm a gardener and I had a deer invade my garden this summer. I went to California for a few days. Mama left the homestead and the deer decided that they were going to invade. It ate my beans It ate my squash flowers, it ate my peas, and even some of my sweet potato vines. It just went to town. It nibbled at the tops of my tomato bushes, it munched on my raspberries. But the biggest insult of all when I came back from California, not was the nibbling, but was the fact that the deer had taken a big poop (laughs) right inside of my garden, like right in the middle. I'm here and I ate everything. I ate so much that I couldn't even contain myself. Violated my garden, okay? It was so insulting that I sat on the edge of one of my raised garden beds and cried real tears. I was devastated, okay? Yes, laugh on. It was devastating to me. I was like, this is my walled-in garden. It is safe from intruders, and you insult me like this. And it had felt like all my hard work had been for nothing. I felt deflated. And the thing is, to put this in context, my family doesn't depend on my garden for survival. They don't. My garden exists for my enjoyment, and the food that I grow in my garden is just a supplement to what I can get at Kroger or Costco. We all know that to be true, right? Do you remember how frustrating it was in the early days of the pandemic when we couldn't find flour or rice or toilet paper, and how nervous we were? I mean, I'm telling you, I was so desperate. There is a, a, a man that grew up here, one of Pastor Dave's nephews. His name's Josh Diani. Josh Diani delivered toilet paper to my house because I couldn't find it anywhere. And I put an SOS out on Facebook and he said, girl, I got you covered. And he brought me toilet paper, okay? That's how desperate I was, okay? Desperate. Now imagine living in that type of pressure cooker for seven years. The Bible says that Gideon and his entire country was in that pressure cooker nonstop for seven years. 
Seven whole years, seven years of your hard work being stolen from you, seven years of your animals being slaughtered, seven years of hunger, seven years of eking out an existence, constantly worried about how you're gonna provide for your family, worried how you're gonna keep them safe from these Midianites who destroyed everything you owned and needed for survival. This is the context to which we pick up the story of Gideon. So now we're gonna read on. Judges chapter six, starting in verse 11 now. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah. Hey, sidebar, this is what Oprah's name was supposed to be. True, truthfully, but her dad was drunk and didn't spell it right, so she's Oprah. But her mother wanted her to be named after the after Ophrah, okay? Just sidebar, that's your, that's your trivia for today. So the angel of the Lord came and sat down under an oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us to the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. Can you see what this last seven years of oppression has done to Gideon's soul? He was pessimistic, but really for good reason. His world was a pagan world. His father had a Baal and an Asherah pole on his land and they worshipped them. Gideon had heard about this heritage. He'd heard about this God, Yahweh, that delivered them from slavery in Egypt and protected them in the wilderness and brought them to a land of promise. But they were merely stories to him. He did not know this God. And he was not worshipping this God. And now, out of the blue, here comes an angel of the Lord telling him the opposite of how he was feeling, telling him that he was brave and mighty and urging him to take on an impossible mission. How hard would that be? So hard. Now there are more than a hundred different verses in the Bible written about Gideon, much more than we can talk about today. But with this backdrop, I really want to focus on three different times where Gideon asked for clarification from God before he proceeded. Three different instances where his doubts got the best of him. But instead of quitting or hiding or plunging headlong into battle, he asked God for clarity. And why do we ask for clarity? When you ask for clarity, what's the purpose? Clarity helps us see something more clearly. And remember, Gideon did not know God. Every time Gideon asked for a sign, that sign was needed for him to take the next step forward in leading the people of Israel. 
And each sign taught Gideon a little bit more about this God of his ancestors. And every sign he asked for was a risk. It was a risk that Gideon took in order to get clarification from God to be a part of a miracle. So first sign slash risk is called the meal, okay? Sign slash risk. I, I, I think they are combined. So we're going to keep reading in Judges. Judges chapter 6, verse 16 through 24. I, I told you we're going to read. Prepare. This counts as your Bible reading for today. You've done it. Okay, congratulations. And the Lord answered, I will be with you and I will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. And Gideon replied, if I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on the rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. And then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. This first sign was so courageous. I think it was the bravest thing that Gideon could have done. You see, he wasn't looking for a magic trick. Like, has anyone ever like tried to get a sign from the Lord? Like, God, if I'm meant to like ask this girl out on a date, can like Stevie Wonder, isn't she lovely, play on the radio in the next half an hour? And if that happens, then I'll know that I'm supposed, have we, we've all been there, right? Anyone been there? Yes. Dumb signs, okay? I had a guy in our church once break up with a girl because he was dropping him off, her off from a date and on the radio, the Beatles song came on, She's So Heavy, and he thought it was a sign from the Lord <laughs> to say, nah, I think this is not going well. And I'm like, are you serious? He's like, yeah, I broke up with her. It was just, it was a bad sign. Okay, we're not talking about that type of sign. What Gideon was doing was an all or nothing attempt to discern whether this truly was the God of his ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And without knowing who he was dealing with, he made an offering that cost him dearly. The giving of that offering was a risk. Remember the food scarcity that he was living under? Remember we just talked about how they had no food? They had no food. It said that the Midianites were killing everything, all the animals. Remember, Gideon was in a wine press, secretly threshing grain by hand. The fact that he offered a young goat and an, a, an ephah of flour to make bread, that 
was his family's insurance against hunger. That could have been the difference between his family surviving the winter or not. I mean, we look at that now and like, oh, big deal, Gideon. No. His first risk, he risked it all. He risked his family's security to know. And that is powerful. When was it the last time that it cost you to seek clarity from God? When was the last time you sacrificed or risked something of great value in order to gain a greater revelation of who God is and what he is requiring of you? When is the last time you made an offering that cost you? See, for Gideon, it was worth it. He could have easily turned away and said, this guy's a quack. There's no way this is going to work. I am not giving up my family's security to test this, but Gideon made a choice, and that is why he's in the hall of faith men <laughs> in, the, in the Scripture, because of this. You see, on my first India trip, I missions, as you guys were talking about, I've always loved missions, but I kind of always had the attitude of, it's probably better if I just send my money. They don't need me there, you know? And you'd hear all of these stories about missionary uh, tourism and, and, you know, so it's easy for me to get caught up in that. And I'm like, I'll just send my money. That's what they need. But the first time I actually went physically to India on a mission trip, the last day of the mission trip, we were sitting in their small house with all of the children around us and the director stood up and he said, thank you. He says, most people sacrifice money in the West, but they can he says, what is more important in the West is time. And you have made a sacrifice of your time to be with us. And we honor that sacrifice of time. And it just stabbed me right in the heart. I realized, yeah, it's easy for me to write a check. It's harder for me to spend two weeks traversing mountains and eating weird food to be able to be with this family that we support. It was a risk. But what I love about Gideon, he gets a really bad reputation for being afraid, but what he was more afraid of was missing God. And you don't have to wait till you're not afraid to risk something for God. I actually think his fear was actually the best part about him because he was afraid of missing God. And sometimes you can just do things scared. And the risk lesson that Gideon learned from this first sign is that Yahweh was who he said he was, that he was mighty and powerful and responsive. And the outworking of that sign, when he, did, when he made his offering and God showed up, the thing he did that very night was go and tear down his father's Baal and Ashtaroth idols in, on their homestead. He said, no more. That risk that he took resulted in him aligning himself for the very first time with the God of Israel. So that gets us to sign number two. Sign slash risk number two, the fleeces. Okay, Judges 6, starting in verse 36. We're gonna read now. So Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, 
I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day and he squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Okay, pay attention to this part. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry, God. <laughs> Let me make one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece, but this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered in dew. And that night God did so. Only the fleece was dry and all the ground was covered with dew. Okay, the first sign slash risk that Gideon needed from God was all about God himself. Are you the God that I've heard about in the stories? Do you really care, God? And these are the most essential questions for every human to ask of God. Every single one of you has to ask God those questions. Are you who you say you are? Do you really care and are you for me? Every single one of us has to wrestle that question to the ground with God. And if we do not do that, we will never be able to do what God's called us to do in our lives because we will not trust that God is for us. We will not trust that God is good. We will not trust that God is mighty. But this second sign was different. The second sign was all about Gideon's role in his mission. Was God truly calling Gideon. This second sign was about how Gideon viewed himself. And I love that God demonstrated his deep love for Gideon by indulging Gideon not once but twice. You see, Gideon was feeling really insecure. In this one, he's saying, am I the person? He's not asking God if God is God anymore. He's like, okay, I've settled that, but now are you sure it's me? Are you sure I'm the one? And this wasn't because no one showed up, actually everyone showed up. Gideon put a call out and said, we're gonna form an army to defeat the Midianites and 30,000 people showed up. And that's a lot of people all looking for Gideon to lead them into battle. And that's terrifying. I know you, some of us, if we haven't experienced that with, oh, how, you're just gonna feel so good if 30,000 people respond to your call. If you have that attitude, you've never led anything. Because if you've actually led something, if 30,000 people show up, do you know the first thing you're gonna say is, I'm not who they think I am. Oh no, they're coming and they're following me and I don't think I'm up to the task. Gideon was struggling with imposter syndrome. If you've ever heard of the word imposter syndrome, it's when you have this fear that you're doing something, but you're scared that you're a fake, that you're a fraud, that people are gonna find out about you, that they're gonna discover that you're just a normal person, just like everyone else. Or maybe even worse, they're gonna discover that you have some things in you that are unredeemed and that when the world finds out, they're gonna stone you or kill you. They're gonna destroy you. That's imposter syndrome. And I've struggled with that myself. 
in my own calling? I've had to ask myself that question. I grew up as the daughter of a pastor. I was involved in church from very early on. And I went straight from being the daughter of a pastor to at 18 years old being married to a pastor. And so I was exposed to all of the rooms that you could be in, in ministry to be able to rise. But was it only because I was the daughter of a pastor and then married to a pastor? I battled that insecurity for years. And it was actually this church that was a part of of breaking down that insecurity in me. Because when I moved here, I was no longer Pastor Chris's daughter. And I was Simon's wife, but there wasn't really any type of emphasis on women, on the pastors of the, the, the pastor's wives leading. It was like, if you want to do it, do it, but you don't have to. So there was no pressure on me. And I really just came and thought, okay, God, if I'm actually called to do this, you're going to have to make it really clear. And he did. He did through Pastor Dave and Rocks. He made it really clear. I will never forget the day that Pastor Dave called me up on the phone and he said, I can no longer deny the call of God on your life for ministry. And it was the first time that it was called out in me. And, it, and I still had to make that choice to believe it or not. Everything that I've ever done for God, I've done scared, FYI. I have never just woken up one day and thought, oh, I am great and mighty and I'm gonna take on the world and watch me go. No, moving to America was so scary. I use, I use fleeces still. I know that that can sometimes be an unpopular thing, but I ask the Lord to speak in ways that I can understand. And this is the only time Gideon needed God to do it twice because it was about Gideon. And he knows how insecure we get. He knows that we need to hear it over and over and over again. You're called, you're called. I have called you. One of the deepest, most painful times in my life was taking over the church four years ago after my husband passed away unexpectedly. I was so scared. For the first time in my life, I felt like a liability to my church. Up until then, I was the bonus. I was the wife. And I knew that I brought good things to the congregation. I knew that my presence added value and I felt comfortable and good in that. But suddenly the thought of my name over the door, my face on the website, people would start to think things about me. Was I just some feminist with an agenda? Was a, why isn't she married? Does she hate men? Oh, I thought of a million things that ran through my head, thought, and then I imagined everyone in the church leaving and no one coming. And the problem was, I wasn't liberal enough for anyone that would think that being a lead pastor as a woman was cool, but I wasn't conservative enough to fit the mold either. So I was stuck in the middle. I was stuck. And I had to call out to the Lord again, God, are you sure? And I heard him clearly. I wrestled with it for a few months. God, 
I love this church so much that if my gender is going to stop this church from going forward and being everything it's called to be, I will step aside. I love it more. And I heard him say so clearly to my soul one night, he says, that's why you love it the most. Because you care, I have anointed you. And I was like, oh, like, I didn't know that caring could be a quality of anointing by the Lord, but he's like, you care the most, you are right. And that's your calling. And, and I needed to hear that more than once, just like Gideon needed to hear more than once with his fleeces that he was the right man for the job. Third sign that Gideon needed from the Lord, Judges 7. And we're gonna start in verse seven. And then the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. We'll pause here for a second. Gideon started with 30,000 and it got whittled down to 300. I mean, talk about insecurity, talk about stress. I mean, I would be like, Lord, Tell me I'm the right person for the job and let me keep the 30,000 deal. But no, the Lord's like, we're really gonna take you on a test run here, Gideon. You're really gonna learn. So he has only 300 people left. Let the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but he kept 300 who took over the provisions and the trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Midian lay below them in the valley and during the night the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp because I am going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura, servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So him and Pura, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. And the Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples that had settled in the valley, thick as locusts, their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. And Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. Pay attention. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. And his friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash the Israelite. The Lord has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshiped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and called up, get up, the Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. And dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars into the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them, follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Whew, okay. First sign, Gideon had a revelation of God. The second sign, Gideon had a revelation of his own calling to lead. But now the event was at hand and he was terrified. 
You see Gideon sending the 300 men to their tents to get some sleep, but sleep was not coming to Gideon that night. And what I love about this sign, the third one we're focusing on today, is that we actually see God himself make provision for Gideon. We see the grace of God on full display for him. He actually doesn't wait for Gideon to cry out to him this time. He doesn't say, God, I need another sign. God initiates the sign. That's awesome. And he uses two Midianite soldiers, not only to confirm to Gideon that the battle has already been placed in his hand, but also we see the grace of God in the lives of the Midianite soldiers. See, a lot of times people have a hard time with the Old Testament. They're like, why would God kill these, you know, have the Israelites fight these people? We see God going ahead of Gideon and warning these people, run, run, Gideon's coming. Like that's the grace of God on full display that even these people who were the enemies of Israel, God warns them. And I believe he does that every single time because he is a good God. Anyway, that's for free if you worry about that stuff. But this was a specific word at a specific time for a specific purpose. Has any of you ever experienced that in your life? When you've known, you know who God is and you know you're supposed to do it, but you still need someone to say, God's calling you to do it. And it's not coming directly from God, it's through another person. And we all need that. We all need that multiple times in our lives for us to be able to do and be everything that God has called us to be. A specific word spoken at a specific time, using someone a lot of times that you didn't expect. You see, I could, I could write a book on, on many things, but, but truly on being a female leading a church and then attempting the thought of dating. I mean, now that's a story. That's a nightmare waiting to happen. And so I, I didn't wanna be single, but I also was a mother to three teenagers. And so I, I had prayed many prayers and made many kind of vows to the Lord of like, okay, I will be single for you, Lord. You know, I'll, I'll just lead this church and I'll do it with everything in me, and then maybe when all my kids have left, I will consider something different. Um, but it was miserable. I wasn't having a good time. I realized I didn't really like being single. And, and as I was walking through this, I was wrestling with the Lord. But again, let's go back to the story before. I didn't want to do anything that would jeopardize my church or my family because I care the most. So I'm stuck in this situation where I really, really care. And I'm sacrificing because I care, but also the desire of my heart is that I wouldn't be alone. And I didn't know what to do with that. And one night we were at a worship night at our church. It was the last worship night before COVID hit. And still things were not on my radar yet about dating. I'm, I was talking to God about it, but I didn't really know. And we got in the car on the way home. And of course, if you're a mother of children, you know how annoying uh, teenagers can be and how firm they can be in their ideas of your life, how you should live your life. So we get in the car and my daughter Evie 
sits in and she's like, we're driving home. She goes, mom, you know how I told you I never wanted you to date ever? Like, yes, many times you have said that. She goes, well, I've changed my mind. And I said, oh. I said, well, well, why? That's shocking. She goes, mom, I was worshiping tonight. She goes, I was lifting my hands and singing to Jesus, you know, in her dramatic way acting it out for me. And she's like, and I looked up on stage and I saw Andrew. Andrew is now my husband, but we weren't dating then. And she goes, and I heard the Lord say, you can trust him. He's safe. And I was like, I mean, yeah, like it was like, like my palms were, and and, and, cause we were friends, but there wasn't anything really there. We were friends. And I said, Evie, you know Andrew's just my friend. She goes, yeah, I know, but that's what I heard the Lord say. And she was so sure. And it was the mercy of the Lord for my daughter. And so a few months later when I sat my kids down and I said, you know, Andrew from church has asked me out on a date. Evie's like, I knew it. And (laughs) which is annoying when your child has power over you that way. Um, I was like, Yes, Evie, Evie did know it. Um, But that word, a specific word for that specific moment, I don't think I would have had the courage to take that step into dating again because I was petrified if God hadn't spoken to my daughter in such a clear way. And as we talk about Gideon's life, he, he needed clarity to know that what he was doing. You think if you can't even count the camels, I mean, I'm pretty sure I could count the camels, but if the Bible says you can't count them, there is too many camels to count. And for Gideon to know that that he was actually not going to send these 300 people to a death wish and to be murdered by these people, he needed to hear from the Lord very specifically. And God used a so-called enemy to deliver a word that he needed to hear. Conclusion. The way that Gideon interacted with God was risky. But it revealed the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, and the kindness of God. And it enabled Gideon to see a miracle. A miracle that we still talk about today. Did you know that not one Israelite life was lost in that battle? That they fought each other. The Midianites fought one another. They just had to stand and declare who God was. And we are living in similar times, I believe, to the time that Gideon was living in. The way that they define the times of judges was that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And we're living in a time where people are doing the very same thing. People are still choosing to do what they think is right rather than return to God. They don't want, they're like, I've heard stories, but I have not had a revelation of who you are, so I'm just gonna worship these other idols because it's easier. And that's the culture we're living in. But we have a better starting point than Gideon, church. You see, Gideon was fumbling around in the dark. He was historically Jewish, but practically 
pagan. He had handed down traditions, but no relationship. We are different. In Hebrews chapter one, and I'm gonna read this over you. I don't know if I have it on the slide. It says this, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in the last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, who He has appointed heir of all things and through whom also He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things, by his powerful word. And after he provided purification from sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. See church, yes, we have the revelation of Jesus. Jesus was given to us to show us who the Father is. We have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit given to us at Pentecost so that we too can have God's Spirit living inside of us. We aren't starting from Gideon's position, but we still need to have personal revelations of God you know, enable, so we can actually do what God's called us to do. We might not be at Gideon's starting point, but we can learn from him. We still need to know who God is. We still need to know who we are in light of God. And we still need specific words at specific times to have the courage to be able to step out and do what God's called us to do. We still need to risk, just like Gideon did to hear from God and to see miracles. But risk is pointless if you're just being risky. You see, every time Gideon risked something, it was for the purpose of understanding God clearly. And the end of Gideon's life is sad. And I believe it's because he stopped risking things in order to get clarity from God. He just started to believe that he could do it. And when we think we know everything we know about God and about ourselves and about the decisions we make in our lives, we get ourselves into trouble. And I believe that the Lord is calling many of you in here to engage with God again in a more direct way, in a way that risks and costs something in your life to be able to say, Lord, I need to hear from you and I'm not moving until I do so. I believe he is stirring that in your hearts again because that is the only way you're gonna see the Lord move in the way that is mighty and powerful in your life. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your faithfulness to us. Lord, I thank you for the gift of your son. I thank you, Lord, that that we are not in Gideon's shoes, Lord, that we have been given the perfect picture of you through your son, Jesus. But Lord, I do pray for every single person in this room, Lord, as they are seeking and discerning your will for their life, as they're seeking and discerning who you are, who they are and what you require of them, Lord, I just bless that right now. I bless what you're doing in this church and in the individual lives. Show us what the next step is in order for us to risk again to see you do something mighty. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen.